Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 7. And I just want to talk about the power of the Bible. Power of the word of God. Just the power of God's spoken word. God's, God's written word. And this may sound pretty basic. Maybe a Sunday school class. But I think it's something that if we don't understand the, the, the power of what God has said. We are going to be winding up doing things. A lot of things in the energy of our own flesh. You ever try to do that? You ever try to serve God in the energy of your own flesh? I have. And it's exhausting. It's unbelievable. Luke chapter 7, verse 7. So Jesus went with him, and I'm reading from the, the, the Lexham English Bible. Jesus went with him. Now by this time, he was not far away from the house. And if you remember chapter 7, verse 1, it just starts telling the story about the centurion. A centurion, you know, is a military position of, a, of an officer that oversees 100 men in the Roman government. And he was a man that um, was, <clears throat> he was under authority, we see later here written. Now by this time, he was not far from, away from the house. <clears throat> and a centurion sent friends saying to him, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should come in under my roof. Now think about that for a second. Here's the centurion. He's a very well-respected uh, individual in the military. And he is saying to Christ, I am not worthy. Now, is this a sense of self-deprecation or self-humiliation? It is not. This is an understanding of just a position of authority. And I think that's what humility is. Humility is not me destroying myself or destroying my, my human dignity or my, the value of my soul before the Lord. Humility is just understanding who I am, that God is in heaven and I'm on earth, as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And the centurion gets it. And he says here, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. For this reason, neither do I consider that I consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my slave must be healed. I love that. In the Greek, it says not, not just will or maybe, but must. If you speak the word, natural circumstances must surrender to the power of your word. Don't you love that? And I love the way Genesis chapter one. And by the way, you can say amen here. It's okay if, uh, if you do, I'm not gonna, it's not going to scare me. Or, you know. <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny story to tell you. It's a, um, there was a, in an old, old church, there was a, uh, you know, there was the, 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 a little bit different than our church. All the seats were really close to the pulpit. I mean, these people really wanted the word. And so there was an older woman that was sitting in the front. And the preacher got up there and he was preaching really loud. He was really preaching powerfully. He was preaching about the day that Jesus Christ comes back, right? So he's preaching. He comes over here and says, and Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, I'm coming. Prepare yourself. I'm coming. And then he goes to the other side of the stage. And he says the same thing. He's going back and forth. He's just getting so hyped up. And, and he just gets so close to the other stage, he falls. And he lands on this elderly woman. And he gets up and he's so embarrassed. He goes, I'm so sorry. And the woman said, that's okay. You warned me you were coming. <laughs> I just thought of that when I was reading this here. That, that like here... here uh, Jesus, uh, the, the centurion says that if you speak the word, my slave must be healed. And I love that. Like when God says something in your life, it's not maybe, right? Amen. Amen. It's not okay. We'll see what happens. I hope. You know, if you ask someone that's grown up in the Catholic religion and you ask them, are you going to go to heaven when they die, when you die? They'll tell you that they believe on Jesus Christ as their personal savior. They'll say, yes, you know, I believe he's my savior. But when you ask them about their eternal security, about their hope in Christ, they will say, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm going. But the word of God is written. It says that we, that we may know that these things are true. Paul said to the, the apostle, John said to the people he was ministering to, 
my slave <clears throat> or my servant must be healed. By the way, I like the way the centurion treats people on his staff. It's a big, it's, a, it's like, he was concerned about his welfare. You know, he's concerned about, like he's sick, he's gonna die. He probably had a wife, you know, his servant probably had a wife and kids, and he was very concerned. And I think that that speaks to us about the centurion's heart and his respect for the word of God. And when we respect the word and when we respect God's Bible and what God says about us, you know what happens? We begin to respect people that we may consider of lower estate. You know, we should never think, and, and this is, we do this because we're just human beings. We look at somebody, and you know, I don't like the word minority. I mean, I just don't like that word. I, I think there's no minority in the kingdom of God. They're, they're, we're just all one man, right? It's not two men or three people. I love this in the book of Ephesians, it says, and I think I know that this, and I'm not going to talk about this, but I know that racism is a big topic in churches today. We've got to, you know, we've got to deal with this, and we've got to, like, you know, hire more people of, of, you know, that are minorities. I just think that's so offensive. If I was to hire someone because they're a minority, I think it would just be so offensive to them, you know? And I don't think Jesus ever thought that way. You know, the house of the Lord is a house for all nations. And you know what the church should look like? It just should look like a lot of different people. And there should be a lot of different languages in the church. I think that that's great. I love it, you know? In our church, it's like, I think it's like that. We just have, I, I just, you know, I grew up kind of in an international culture. I grew up in a church that has international missions. My wife and I, my wife's Polish, and I lived overseas in Poland, and Poland graciously received me and gave me a passport. You know, I, you know, I, like, the, I like the mix because the house of the Lord is an international house, and it's because when we understand the gospel, and get this, okay? If we understand, and my wife says, you gotta speak slower, so I'm gonna speak slower. Uh, when we understand the Bible, we understand that we are one man, you know? Sometimes people ask me, how many people are in your church? I always just say one. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ, one man in Christ, right. you know? And, and it says here in verse eight, for I am also a man placed under authority who has soldiers under me. And I say this to this one, go and he goes. And to another come and he, go, and he comes. And to my slave do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I love that. Faith makes Christ marvel. Isn't it amazing? When you trust the Lord, you know, it's not a, it's not a cynical, sarcastic, you know, marveling, oh, I expected otherwise. It's just he's blessed. And actually, we see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, right? What makes God happy? What pleases God? What can I do to make God happy? Just trust him. Your faith in God, in your circumstance, when we choose to, do, when we choose to, to um, respond to God by faith in his word, what happens? What happens? God is pleased with that. He marvels. He's marveling at this. And he turns around to the crowd that was behind him, following him. And here, it's interesting. Here's a guy that's not following Christ, that's not in the, in the crowd with Christ. It's not part of the inner circle, we would say, you know, in a, in a, in a maybe sarcastic way. He's, you know, and he's a guy who says, I'm not going to even come because, like, you know, you just need to say the word. And he turns to the crowd behind him and he says, and he says this, I tell you that not in, in all of Israel have I found such great faith. Wow, is that great? And was, was a centurion a Gentile? Was he a Jew? I think he was a, I think he was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. And here is all of Israel, patriotic Jewish people being compared to someone who's a Gentile. And that Romans were not really liked in, in, in Israel at the time because they represented an oppressive government. 
a government that was just squashing the people. And Jesus turns around and he just says this thing. I think it's just for the Jewish mind so offensive. He's marveling, like, and this guy's not even there. And he says, I have not seen such a great faith in all of Israel. You know, I think that God here is just amazed. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of persons. And when Jesus heard these things, he was marveled. And he said, I haven't seen such great faith. In verse 10, and they returned to the house. Those who had been sent and found the slave healthy. I just want to say, just really simple today, if there's only one thing you get out of this message, and I, I, um, I want you to understand that the power of the Bible is so powerful. And when you and I choose, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, to mix faith with what we hear, that releases God in your life. All right? And I don't know if I, I don't need to add a lot of emotion to this or a lot of pitch in my voice. Or I think the Bible itself is so powerful. If somebody was to come up here and just read scripture in a monotone voice and sit down, that could be so powerful. You know, Jonathan Edwards was a guy like that. You know his story, right? He was a, he was a preacher during the Great Awakening in America, and he would just read his sermons. And I'm sure that, you know, he would script, and he would just write them all out. And he, 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 he wrote a sermon out, hand, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. I mean, it's just scathing message. And he just read it. And as he's reading it, like the power of God, the Holy Spirit begins to anoint the word, begins to anoint him, and begins to anoint, um, anoint the message. And people would just begin to, in their seats, sense God's presence, and they just, be, they just began to, to repent, and, and, and they received Christ as their personal Savior, because the Bible in itself is powerful. The Bible is powerful. How does the Bible begin in Genesis chapter 1, right? This is the law of first mention in hermeneutics. And by the way, we're going to have Bible school starting uh, next week. And one of the classes is hermeneutics taught by Pastor Shabelli. It's a video class. Hermeneutics is, is how to study your Bible and how to, un- how to interpret it and, and, and how to understand it. And, and one of the first laws of hermeneutics is first mention. When something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it means it's extremely important, right? So you just learned something. The first law of mention is that when something is in the Bible mentioned for the first time, that, that is, it's like it's extremely important and we need, to divide, we need to devote our attention to it. And the first time that we see the beginning of the Bible, the opening of the book, Genesis chapter 1, in the first few verses, what's happening? God is speaking and what's happening? Things are being created. Out of nothing, right? Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. Do you know something that God can speak into your life and there could be nothing there and then something is, right? That's the way God is. When you and I get on our knees before the Bible, we open it up, we say, God, I'm so full of, I'm so full of unbelief. And that's okay. We can confess that to God because not, God's not looking for you to be a super believer. God is looking for you just to mix faith, to say, God, I trust you. I don't understand I don't see it. I don't know why. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. And Job said this, though he slay me, though God slay me, I will trust him. Do you ever pray that prayer in the midst of just a crazy situation in your life? I was driving yesterday to Outreach, and we had a good crowd here, like almost, I don't know, Pastor Adam, like 10 people, including all the kids. And we just, I was driving behind this, this, this truck, and you know how here there's some people, and I have a truck, I like trucks, on the back of their, on the back of their truck, you know, there's their philosophy of life, you know, in like five words, <laughs> you know? And I read it and just said, and it said, but did you die? That's what it said, but did you die, right? And then usually, you know, you kind of pull up, you're looking at the guy like, 
You're, you ever do that? You're pulling up, you're looking at the person like, what kind of person would have that on there? And it was a good question. I think that sometimes we go through things and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. This is unbelievable. And then the question is, but did you die? No. Okay. It's great. It's great. Trust God. Trust the Lord. And I think that when we trust, when God says something and you don't understand it and you don't know why and you don't know what's going to happen, can I tell you something? And just focus here with me. Just say, okay, I agree. I'm just going to trust you, God. And that's all we have to do. When you, in your will, because your will is like the switch in your soul to turn God on, to allow him in. Uh, it, when you say yes to God and his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, but I feel lonely and depressed. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, you know, how about this? God who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Right? Okay, yes, God. Nothing's really be. Actually, my life is filled with a lot of just disruption of permanent relationships, and I don't feel like anything's being completed in my life. I'm living a life of unresolved things. And but God, I'm going to trust you. But God, I'm going to trust you. God says it. And in the beginning of the Bible, we see that God speaks, and He says, "Let there be," and it was. I love that when God speaks to the elements. That's why Jesus could say words to people, and He could just say a sentence. And we don't even see here in Luke chapter 7, if I, if I, don't, I don't read it here, maybe it's in, in the other accounts of this in the other Gospels. I don't hear Jesus say, okay, your servant shall be healed, right? It doesn't happen. His servant is healed. Just by the man speaking this faith. Jesus, if you say it, it must be. And I think that this is the way that, that um, and don't live in condemnation when you don't, have, when you don't trust God. Because remember, faith is not emotion. Faith is not emotion. Faith has really nothing to do with emotion. Actually, emotions in our soul are like a little untrained, unweaned child that you just need to continually direct and continually speak. It's like my, it's like my, it's like my puppy at home. I have a dog. It's like two years old. Um, and I think it's just going to be that way for the rest of his life. I have an eternal two-year-old in the house, and it's my dog. And I think it's like our emotions. You know, we have to continually speak to our emotions truth. Because you know something? With the way you and I think... The thoughts that you and I dwell on, right? These thoughts that you and I have, the thoughts that we allow into our mind, that we allow to camp out there, that we start to imagine and think, these are thoughts in my mind that are going to have authority <clears throat> and that's going to eventually what I obey. What you listen to, what I listen to, is what we will obey. And actually, in the Hebrew language, the word to obey and the word to hear in the Hebrew language is really the same word, shama. And actually, a lot, of a lot of languages overseas, like in the Slavic languages, to hear something or to obey something is really the same word. Which is like this word to be obedient, Polish. Like when you say, when you're like, you know, what I listen to, what I give heed to is what I'm going to act out. And you know something, when we, when we put the word of God in front of us and we think and we understand God is saying this. And we think if God spoke and the world's were, then it must be the same in my life. And don't worry if it's not immediate. Because God does, when God begins a work, he's faithful to complete it. One, one person said it this way, and I want to read it. The word of God is the primary way we come to understand the truth about God. The second of the Ten Commandments forbids the making of images. Pictorial representations of the triune God for use in worship. Why might we ask if pictures and statues of God help you in prayer? And why would the commandments forbid them for centuries? The Protestant church 
have argued that it's through the reading and teaching of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is given free reign to illuminate the mind and heart with the truth. Images hijack that truth and present, uh, and a present and predigested version of God's character. There was, an, there was an article that I read by the New York Times, and I don't read that a lot, but it just the title was kind of interesting. And it goes into about... Um, Images and child, child development. We have some teachers in the room here, and I think they will appreciate this. They ran this article, and what's called Turn the Page, Spur of the Brain. That represented empirical findings showing that reading to children, even infants, and my wife always says this, let's read to my son, even infants was crucial for brain development. They found that exposing children to a video or a, video or a picture short-circuited the child's imagination. One expert said that they are not having to imagine the story for themselves. How many of you, um, this is the older generation in the room, had your parents read to you a book before you go to sleep? Yeah. Right? And that was for me, but my parents always, my dad always did that. And my dad wasn't even saved. My, my dad wasn't even saved, and then he would pray with us. You know, but that, that was kind of interesting. And he would just read this story, and we'd be picturing in our minds the, the characters of the, of the story. One expert said, and they said that, you know, they have to, Kids need to imagine the story for themselves, or it's just being fed to them. Another pointed out that children who were exposed to reading showed significantly more activity in the areas of the brain that process visual association, even though the child was listening to a story that he could not see in any pictures. In short, verbal communication makes your mind and heart do the work of grasping and imagining the story for yourself. Images tend to feed you what some other person has imagined. I think that's why the Bible is so important. Opening the book. I think just sometimes opening the Bible and just reading through the gospel. Take the book of Mark, for example, and just sit down and just read through like a book. You know, Grab a translation that you can understand and just start reading. Mark chapter 1 and just read the story of Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. When there was something that was stated in the Old Testament that was in a judicial environment, in a judicial situation that required a witness, nothing could be verified as true until there was a second witness. And it's very much the way it is in our system of justice. And so when the word of God is spoken, there is a witness to the word of God. And who that witness is? It's the Holy Spirit, right? When the, whole, when the word of God is spoken, when you're listening to me speak, and when you're listening to whoever speaks up here, uh, when you're listening to them speak or you're in Bible school, you're listening to classes, there's a witness to that. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. How does this apply in your life? Right? And that's what's called a rhema. It's a Greek word. So in the, in the Greek language, there's two words for the word word. One word is logos, which we know, which is the written word that is the official statement. But then there's rhema, which is an understanding of what that word personally means in your life. And this is what Matthew said in Matthew 4, verse 4. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you and I are not living with the word of God being illuminated in our hearts and our minds, then we're starving spiritually. And that's why we pray as a church. And I pray this every week. Pastor Adam, I pray for this all the time that we would be a church that has an anointing 
that has the Holy Spirit speaking through the pulpit. Because if that's not the case, we can just all go home and just go watch the... I don't know, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that like, that's not something that I would want to be in, in, involved with if the Holy Spirit's not here. If people don't walk out that door and get in the car, you know all the conversations we have in the car on the way home, we talk, you know, how was church, great, this is what I got, you know, I like the food. <laughs> and these are the conversations, and we want conversations in the car to be like, I heard from God. I heard something from God. Isn't it interesting that they said this when we were just talking about that? Yesterday we were in a neighborhood um, down at Magnolia Ridge. We were talking to one family, David and I, and the guy said to me, I said, how can we be praying for you? And he goes, well, my sister a minute ago just had a baby. I said, wow, that's amazing. We can pray for that. And then he said, you know, also pray for us because we're looking for a church. And it's interesting that you would say that because just minutes ago we were talking in the house that, you know, because they just moved to the area. They said, we're looking for a church. And I just think that, like, if we could have a raiment, if we could be thinking we've got spirit led in our life, that is... You know, when you pray and you just and you digest the word of God in your life, somebody said it this way. You're going to notice more coincidences in your life. You're going to notice things happening like, oh, that's interesting. Like that kind of of happened like that. Um, I remember in our church in Ukraine, when we had first started, um, we had people that would come and then we would never see them again. And we were like, you know, what? It's kind of just odd in the beginning. We're like, well, that's what's going on. I mean, you know, uh, and I asked somebody who brought a friend and then. She didn't come back, and then she came back later, and actually they married one of our pastors, so that was good. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, they, they haven't come back, and said, you know, how did they like the service? They said, well, they got really freaked out. I go, why? Why did they get freaked out? They said, because, and the other people that I've brought, they just get really freaked out, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And they said, because they think you're a mind reader. <laughs> because you're preaching to them, you're preaching about things that they've talked about, and then this friend, he said, and I got in trouble because they thought that, that I said something to you about their situation. I said, I have no idea. It's just, it's just God. It's just God. And if that's the way it is, then it's rhema. We live by rhema. We live by a personal revelation, not a private interpretation. There's a difference. Personal revelation comes through the Holy Spirit, and it's always in agreement with the Scripture. It's never something that is like, you know, God told me to leave my wife and marry my, my secretary. That's not God, obviously. Or God told me to go rob a bank. That's not God. Because when God speaks to us, it's always in accordance to his word. Okay? And so rhema means that God takes something that you listen to by faith in your life and say, God, I receive this by faith. I don't understand it. I don't see it happening in my life. And then you say yes to God by faith. You mix faith with it. And then what happens? Your will turns on God to function in your life. You submit to God. And that's what it means to submit to God. We are submitting to what we listen to. We are submitting to what we're watching on our screens. By the way, guard your screens, guard your eyes, guard your kids' eyes, guard what they're watching, because it's, un- it's so sneaky, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and we all know the stories. Faith comes by hearing. And how does faith come? And I wanna look at this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and I'm gonna wrap it up. Where does faith come from? Somebody sometimes, sometimes we wake up and we think, I don't feel like I'm full of faith. A lot of times we don't feel that way. Um, you know, we, do, we, we just have these emotions and, and our emotions can't think. And we should never, if you're in an emotional state of mind or if you're hungry or you're tired or your body is off, just say, you know what, I'm going to leave that discussion or that decision until a later time when I'm built up encouraged and I'm thinking clearly. And it's okay because this world that we live in demands instant decisions. 
and click-throughs. And that's okay. We can just say, you know what? I can wait on God and hear from God. But when, when we're in a place where we don't feel that the emotion is happening and we don't feel like following through, um, just understand that that's not reality. We live in a culture that says, well, you've got to follow your heart. You've got to be authentic and genuine. You've got to, you've got to really feel it. You know? um, uh, somebody said it this way, you know, um, fake it till you feel it, or fake it till you face it, or faith it till you feel it. And these are not sentences that we use as Christians. We take a, we take a step out, and we, you know, we get out of bed and we think, you know something, I don't feel great about myself, I don't feel great about my day yesterday or my night last night. And what we need to start doing is not think in our emotions but take the word of God and learn how to think with God about the word of God. And this is Philippians chapter 2. That God has given you the mind of Christ as a teenager. You have a mind in your... You, God has given you something, ladies and men, that, that, that you, can be a young, you can be a young person. You can look at a circumstance and you could exercise discernment and understand if that's good or bad for you. And when we do that, faith comes by hearing. And when we hear it, and that's Romans 10 verse 17. When we hear something... You know, faith, if I don't have faith for a circumstance, if I don't have faith for a message, if I don't have faith to step out and do outreach, if I don't have faith to meet together with the body of Christ, you know what I do? I always just turn on a message. I just go to a, one, you know, I just, I don't listen to my messages. <laughs> you can listen to my messages, but I listen to messages that my pastors have preached and some old, old messages back in the, back in the day. If I told you the years, you'd think I was a dinosaur. And these are old, old messages that I listen to and they just have this, they, they just stir my heart up and build me up in faith. And they build me up in a capacity to trust God. And when we hear, faith comes by hearing. Faith begins to build. And this is hearing. And this is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You know what it is? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ, right? And guess what that word in the Greek there is? And we're going to have a rhema. When we hear rhemas, when you hear something that says, you know what? That was for me. You know, when I was in Bible school... I was there for six months. I didn't understand a thing. Everything went over my head. I thought I was like not saved. And so I went to the other upperclassmen and I said, I said, I don't, I'm not really getting anything really. It's just all over my head. And he just said, you know, just write down one thing. Just write one thing down. You know, that, those days we use pen and paper. Just write it down. And just take that home, you know. And, and when you do that, just go home and just take that one thing. And the next time you're going to hear two things. The next time you're going to hear five or maybe three or, or another two things. Take that and just mix faith with it. Because when we do that, then we are being, be, being built up in faith. I want to just wrap it up with this. Is that um, if God, through his word, created the worlds that we live in. If God speaks today into the world. It says that in the last days that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly. And I love that word expressly. It's in the King James and it means very clearly and very distinctly, and it's in the present tense, which means that God is continually speaking. God always has something to say. God is always speaking to his people, and we open the word. If there's a circumstance, I'm faced with fear. Guess what? Open your Bible and read what David the Psalmist said about fear, and face your fear with the word of God. You know, when temptation comes knocking on your door, don't go answer the door. Send Jesus, send the word to open the door, and let the word of God deal with that, like in Matthew chapter four. When, this, when the devil himself comes to tempt Jesus. What does Jesus do? The son of God. What does he do? Philosophy or, or just you know, eloquent words. No, he just quotes scripture. What version was he quoting? I don't know. <laughs> He's quoting the Old Testament, right? He's quoting like the, as it is written. And that's how we live. Like, What does the word of God say about my life? What does the word of God say about my relationships? What does the word of God say about my money? 
What does the word of God say about my thought life? What does the word of God say about my salvation? That I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm in the family of God, amen? What does God say about missions? What does God say about evangelizing and speaking to the lost? You know, we went to this, after we did outreach yesterday, we went to this, um, I don't remember what it was called, Pastor Adam, what it's called? It's uh, El, Kiosca. El Kiosca, which is like this, this is ice cream place in Old Magnolia, and we went in there, and every, it's just all Spanish, I love it, just, just total immersion in the Spanish language. And we just ate this incredible, it was just so simple, it was just great ice cream. We sat down for a few minutes and we just talked about what God had did in those conversations. And it was just so edifying. Because when we're together with the body of Christ, we're being built up and it's the word of God. And in a conversation that we have with each other, it, you know, eventually, we just want it to be about the word of God, don't we? I can only talk about the Astros so long. And I love the Astros, they were playing the Blue Jays, right? Yes. I don't know if they won or not. But when I left, they were ahead. But, um, I mean, I can only talk about that so long until it's like, can we talk about something eternal, something life-changing, you know? And so I just want to close with this, is that, is that faith is the, is the realization of what's hoped for, the proof of things not seen. We live in promise. And we make decisions based on promises. And we, we make life decisions on promises. We make huge decisions about who we're going to marry and how our marriage is going to go based on what the Bible says. Put your trust in the word. And I think that because we live in the world of Google right now, Google is not the Bible. Google may say something, but it may not actually be true. Very possibly is not true. But what does the word of God say? If God has said it, then it shall be as God has said. And that's what David, I'm sorry, that's what Paul said in Acts 27. The boat is sinking, right? Everybody's going to, it looks like everybody's going to die. It's in a, he's in the Mediterranean Sea. It's one of these storms in the Mediterranean Sea. And it's looking really bad. And then, Dave, and then, and then, and then um, Paul stands up and he says, I believe it shall be as God has even said. That's how our conversations in crisis should begin. I believe that God, it shall be as God has said. Amen. And when next time we face circumstance, next time we face um, fears and threats, we just say, I believe it shall be as God has said. And then point to a verse. And can I take, and this is like, can I take a topic? Um, can I take a topic and with three Bible verses, with three Bible verses, just pinpoint the topic, right? Triangulate the topic. And then if I, can, if I know three verses on a topic, then I really understand what it is. Amen? Let's not rob ourselves and enter into a, a Christian life of just striving and struggling and try to making it work. But let's just enter into faith rest in Hebrews chapter 4. Trust the word. Walk by faith in our life. And guess what? Joy comes back. Peace comes back. Um, hope comes back. Uh, love comes back. All of these fruits of the Spirit, they come back because it's no longer I trying to live my Christianity. It's the Word of God that is, that is walking it out. Plant seeds of the Word. And if we got the seed right, you know what happens? The plant's going to come out. The fruit's going to come out the way it should be. Amen? Let's close uh, in prayer. Father, we thank